If you're listening to this before March 31st, 2016, don't forget to check out princetonreview.com slash podcast to save $225 on any of their MCAT prep courses. Again, that's princetonreview.com slash podcast before March 31st, 2016. This is the pre-med year, session number 174. Hello and welcome to the pre-med years, where we believe that collaboration, not competition, is key to your pre-med success. I'm your host, Dr. Ryan Gray, and in this podcast, we share with you stories, encouragement, and information that you need to know to help guide you on your path to becoming a physician. Now, encouragement and motivation are not lacking in this episode today. We're interviewing a, or I'm interviewing a pre-med student who is on the older side, and his first attempt at undergrad ended with academic dismissal, and that means he didn't do so well. He got kicked out of school because his grades weren't good enough, and he went on to continue his career where he was working, went up the ladder, went down the ladder, went up the ladder, and you'll hear his story as he talks about it. But eventually, he decided to go back to medical school. He has a, a wife and all of those discussions that happened. He has a kid, and you'll hear some interesting things about going to college with his son, taking the same classes as his son. It's a great story with a great result. Let's welcome Kane to the show. Kane, welcome to the pre-med years. Thanks for joining me. It's an honor to be here. I want to know what career you're leaving to pursue a career in medicine. Uh, well, it's um, well, I'm an engineer. Uh, more specifically, I'm a manufacturing engineer. So I've been doing that for 15 years now. And uh, it's just time for a change. Time for a change, and what a change it is going from <laughs> an engineer, and and you, so I, I talk to a lot of pre-med students that go in to an engineering major thinking that it's a great pre-med major. I don't know why they do that, but you didn't have any thoughts of being a physician as an undergrad, correct? No, that's absolutely correct. I didn't even entertain it as a possibility. All right. So you're an engineer, you said, for the past 15 years. Mm -hmm. That's right. What happened? Where, where did this idea of becoming a physician come from? Uh, well, that's, a, that's an interesting story, and, and everybody you know, ties it into a, a long past. And, and you know, since they wanted to be a kid, well, like I said, I didn't entertain the idea of being a physician. Uh, my circumstances just... It just was more of, you know, it's like the same, it would have been the same as entertaining idea of becoming a king. You know, I mean, it just wasn't a possibility. Uh, becoming an engineer is something I kind of fell into. I was a computer science major and kind of struggled through, you know, I'm, I'm sure we'll, we'll cover some of that. But um, in the end, uh, I, I fell into this job as an engineer. I built my career as an engineer. Uh, and, and I like it. You know, it's interesting. Um and then one day, uh, you know, you know, I lost my job and, and ended up down here. Um, you know, one day I just decided that I wanted to finish my degree. And so that involved going back to school. Uh, and when I thought about going back to school, it 
it kind of opened up my eyes. You know, I'd come a long way and, and grown a lot. And I realized that I could do whatever I put my mind to. So, and, and as many people should realize, because you, you limit yourself only with your own inhibitions. And when I thought about that, and I thought about where I wanted to go and what it was that I wanted out of life and some of my past experiences, being a doctor was everything that I wanted to be. So, take us back a little bit, because you mentioned a couple things in there that I was like, what? What did, what did he mean by that? So, you're an engineer, but you didn't have your degree before? No, no. I, I started, um, you know, kind of working my way through life. Uh, at, at the age of 19, I got a job in a factory, which was a big boon to me because until then I was trying to survive with a, a young family off of you know, minimum wage gas station jobs. Uh, and, and when I went to work at this factory where we built trucks, uh, I just, uh, I worked really hard. I was glad for the pay. You know, it was a fortune to me at the time. It was, you know, $12 an hour. And, um, as I worked, worked there, I also worked toward getting my degree in computer science, which was kind of one of my first loves. I liked computers. And I got an associate's degree in computer science. And by the time I landed that degree, uh, one of the manufacturing engineers at the place where I worked noticed me in my work ethic. And uh, he just came up out of the blue and said, hey, how would you like to be a manufacturing engineering technician? And I was like, anything's better than what I do here day in and day out. <laughs> so so I, I, I did just that. And I had some ins and outs, you know, with that career. Uh, yeah, I got uh, laid off after a period of time. Uh, well, kind of demoted back to being a line worker. Worked my way back up again. You know, I was, I was a, a, a team leader for a while and got my way back into the manufacturing engineering department because they liked me. And um, it just kind of went from there. So, yeah, my degree was in computer science. I uh, never did work, work doing that because I had opportunities as an engineer. Interesting. So you, you get this itch to go back and finish your degree, and you said, you know what, being a physician is is everything I've I wanted. What what goes into that? Because people don't just wake up and go, hey, you know what, I'm gonna go kill four years of my life and and two or three hundred thousand dollars in debt and 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 get my medical degree to to join a a. a industry a career where everybody seems to be unhappy what there, there, <laughs> there has to be some exposure somewhere to to go you know what this is really cool this is something i might want to look into you could say there's some exposure but uh, I'll, I'll tell you how it came about at first and um i have a feeling that maybe there's more people than will admit that it happened this way i was i was sitting at tropical smoothies with my wife and uh just sitting there, you know, sipping on my uh, blimey limey, and uh, I, I looked across the table at her, and you know, because we were talking about me going back to school, and it was at that time just simply because I'd had some high-level interviews. I was looking at some uh, management-level, um, um, executive management-level positions as a manufacturing engineer, and I, and I didn't make it past the last round of interviews, and I figured it was the lack of bachelor's degree that was holding me back. So we had already decided to go back to school, and um, I, was, I, I was starting up classes at a, uh, at a uh, community college, which is kind of another story. And I just looked across the table and said, hey, why don't I become a doctor? And she looked back at me like I had horns growing out of my head. <laughs> she said, uh, don't be messing with me. And I was like, no, I'm, I'm not messing. Why can't I become a doctor? And that thought it just kind of came out of the blue. 
But then I really let it sink in and started looking, what does it take to become one? What does it mean to be one? And it was the whole picture of helping people, um, of using knowledge and, and science to help people in many different ways that really drew me to the career and made me realize it's something that I wanted to be. And it really was just that kind of realization and thinking and pondering on it that, that drove my decision because I didn't really have much exposure to the medical field in my past. No, no big health history that, that kept you around doctors for any period of time? No, no, I was, I had a couple of procedures, you know, I had uh, uh, some surgeries and whatnot, but they were outpatient, so nothing where I was had a long stay or, or a lot of exposure, so no, nothing like that. So one random conversation, sipping on smoothies, and you throw it out there, why don't I be a doctor? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was it. I I actually have her to thank a lot for that. She always wanted to marry a doctor. <laughs> so she pushed you into it. So so most <laughs> people go to med school because their parents want them to, but you're going because your wife wants you to. Well, that's where the thought initially came from. I'm <laughs> I'm actually going because I want to. <laughs> that's that's good. That that'll make it easier for you. All right. So you you get this thought. You get this idea. How did you research all of this information? Uh, well, thank goodness I didn't start at Student Doctor Network. So, <laughs> so I, uh, I uh, actually it started uh, with Google. I mean, I think that's where most everybody's starts with, and you start looking around on the internet and and you get an idea of what it's going to take. Um, and uh, after that, I did some shadowing, which helped immensely. So I, I shadowed a radiation oncologist and I shadowed a cardiologist, who I still shadow. And those experiences really concreted in me that, yes, this is what I want to do. So and that and I volunteer at a children's hospital as well on all the different wards. And just that exposure, I think it's critical for anyone. You can't go into a job if you don't know what it's about. And to have that exposure made me realize, okay, this isn't just a dream. This isn't just a thought. This is something that I want to be part of. Yeah, I think shadowing is a, a huge part of that that decision process. So it's great that you it seemed like you jumped on that pretty early. I did. Talk about the the process of going back to school and taking classes and figuring all that out and, and where you decided to take all the classes. Uh, yeah, that's just like all of my history, but kind of a, a journey in itself. So uh, when I decided to go back to school, I applied to the local major university, which I was fortunate was uh, just 45 minutes or so from me. And that was the University of South Florida. Uh, I was rejected. So that's, that was kind of a, a smack in the face because I was all excited. I'm going to go back. I'm going to excel. I'm not going to do what I did in my past, which was not good. I did poorly in my past. Poorly enough that my, my 2.59 GPA got me rejected. So I had to step back. And I mentioned before I went to community college. Uh, I wasn't going to be stopped by that this time. So I was, I was determined. So I signed up for community college classes. Um, I have a, a son who was old enough to be in college, and we actually had a couple classes together at the community college, which was interesting, to say the least. That's so, awesome. Who yeah, was, was more a, embarrassed, you or him? I think it was him, and it was, <laughs> it was the two best grades he ever got. So, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so I got through those two. Uh, I got two A's, which was a real shot in the arm because, you know, you go back to school at age 38, which is what I was then, 38, 39, I think, by then. And um, 
I got a couple A's and, and I reapplied to the University of South Florida and I just edged in at their minimum requirements and they had to take me because I was a, a community college Florida transfer. So reluctantly, or, or I should say grudgingly, they took me and um, I did really well. So that was, uh, that was all the opportunity I needed. That's great. So it seems like, did, did you know about this, this program to accept community college transfers at, at USF? I I didn't at first, but when I as I was taking classes that first semester, I did a little research online about becoming a transfer, and I realized they don't explicitly say that they have to, but they kind of have to. I mean, they they have a an obligation to take anybody who's a community college transfer here in Florida, which I'm kind of evidence that that really is true, even though it's not in the fine writing because they took me so. Interesting. I wonder if that's something that the the student listening right now that is thinking about community college can look into to see if any state schools offer that same sort of transfer policy. It's good to know. Yeah, it was it helped me immensely. You know, it got me into a great university. All right. So you started off at community college. How long were you there this time? Just a single semester. Just, Just one enough semester. To, yeah, I retook a couple of my previous F grades. That's great. And then you transfer to USF. Go Bulls. Yeah, uh, go Bulls. <laughs> what, uh, what was that like, being a 39-year-old undergrad student? Um, it, it, was, it was like going back to school. It, it was almost like, uh, well, I mean, how do I even, even phrase that? <laughs> it's odd. When you show up to campus and you're at a traditional university like USF, and these people are literally younger than your children. <laughs> That's uh, it's a different feeling, and some of them do look at you differently. And I think a lot of older students would be afraid that, oh my goodness, I'm going to be such an alien, an outsider. It's not like that at all. They look at you with a, a level of respect that they don't have for their classmates because you're actually kind of a father figure. So I'm coming in there, and when I was when I talk to these classmates, they immediately respect what I'm saying. You know, regardless of whether I'm right or wrong, so you got to be careful to be right. You know, um, and they they accepted me. I mean, I I had study groups every semester that helped me a lot, and um, you know, we all shared. I had friends; they were half my age, but I I did have friends that helped me a lot, and then we leaned on each other. So it, it wasn't as bad as you might think. It was a little scary, you know, because when you're pushing forty, uh, you have this thought that young minds are stronger minds. And you tend to think, I'm, I mean, I know I did. I tend to think that I could not compete, that these kids are going to outdo me because they have younger, quicker minds than I do. And, you know, happy to say that I don't know whether that's true or not, but my work ethic was definitely more concrete. And I was a much more settled student, which made me stand out. The the path to, to medical school, at no matter what age, is a hard one. And yes. obviously starting later in life can be even harder. What sort of support was there for you as, as you went back to school to, to go on this journey? Uh, and that's, that answer for me is going to be maybe different than I've heard from other non-traditionals. Uh, for one thing, my wife has been uh, unendingly supportive. She is in my corner. She's on the MSAR looking stuff up for me, you know. And she's she's helping motivate me to study. She's been a hundred percent behind me, and it's helped. I, I can't even imagine doing it without her. 
uh, other than that, you get a lot of doubters. I mean, when you tell somebody when you're 39 years old, hey, I'm going to, I'm a pre-med, I'm going to go to medical school. The answer I got was always, oh, okay, well, good luck with that. You know, I mean, it was kind of, you could just sense the doubt and like, yeah, right, you know, type of, type of attitude. And you got to kind of just let it roll off and, and let it motivate you a little bit. Like, you know, it's, it's fine. I understand, you know, it, it is kind of unusual thing in your late thirties to go to medical school, but it's not impossible. And, uh, you know, people do it all the time. So I, I met a lot of doubt, but you need to have at least one person in your corner, one good person in your corner. And I did. And that was all the difference. You had mentioned earlier that you found some great shadowing early on. How did you find that shadowing, and, and how did you feel that, that those physicians were receptive, again, being a non-traditional student? <laughs> again, an interesting answer. Um, actually, there was a kid, 18-year-old kid, that came to work where, where I work, and he was just there for some summer work. He was going to become a police officer, and we were working in the back. Uh, you know, I was an engineer. He was a, a line worker. And um, he had mentioned that he just played poker with his uncle, who's a doctor. And I was like, oh, really? What kind of a doctor is he? And he said, uh, oh, he's a uh, radiation. He's, he said he was in a radiologist or something like that, and which, which I was very interested in at the time and I'm still interested in. And I said, really, where is he a radiologist at? And, and he said, well, he's a radiologist over at, at, at Moffitt, I think, wherever that's at, which is the medical school on campus at USF. So I said, uh, would you mind giving him my number? And he, <laughs> and he did. And uh, his uncle was, um, he was uh, unbelievably gracious. He called me up. He kind of interviewed me. He wanted to see what I was about before he said yes. And, and he liked me and my story and where I was going. And uh, he gave me a shot. And he, um, he tested me. So he was a good mentor. And uh, every time I went to meet with him, and I met with him twice a month uh, for six months, he would say, so you still want to be a doctor? Here, come talk to this guy. Hey, do you want him? Do you think you should become a doctor? And he would pick, I knew he was picking out people that would say no. <laughs> so I got, so he tested me and he said, you know, you're kind of old. If, if you want to be a dosimetrist, that might be a good career. And so he tested my, uh, my resolve for sure, but he didn't stop me. Uh, he let me shadow him time after time. So uh, that, that helped, helped me think through what could be my own doubts. And uh, even though, you know, there's some of the negativity I probably could have done without that questioning that, do you really want to do this? I think that's important. You have to really want to do it. And when somebody comes at you with those questions, you have to know that, yes, the answer is I want to do this. And, and he helped me a lot in that way. Yeah, I'm sure it helped for your, your real interviews later on. It did. Yeah. Yeah. He used to, uh, what they say? They call it pimping, I guess. He'd pimp me all the time. Yep. <laughs> pimp is... Uh... Uh, nobody really knows, I, I don't think, the origin of it, but some people say it's uh, an acronym for put me in my place. Uh, uh, well, he was, he was definitely doing that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, all right, so you get your shadowing, you're at USF taking courses, you're the old guy there, the father figure, as you say. What what was the, the pre-med advising like at a, the, the big state school for an old guy like you? Uh, in the beginning, really discouraging. <laughs> so, uh, I, I had I actually went through a couple different advisors, um, that weren't really pre-med and I didn't even realize that they had pre-med advisors. And, um, the second advisor I went to academic advisor, I went to, 
um, actually said, hey, you should go see the pre-med advisor. And this was about a year in. And I was like, oh, there's pre-med advising here? So I, I did, and I went and saw him. And um, originally, he looked at my, uh, uh, my transcript, and I was going half-time. And I was, uh, uh, I had good grades at that point, straight A's, but it was only a couple semesters in at halftime, and my uh, academic past was very poor. I mean, I was uh, academically dismissed after my first two semesters of college when I was a, a young, you know, 19, 20-year-old. Um, and he looked at that and said, I don't think you have much of a chance, but if you want to keep trying, then you need to go full time, which even though it was discouraging was true. And that, that was a decision point. So I had to go from working full time and part-time school to full time school and part-time work. So that, that once again, having my wife, you know, who's willing to pick up the slack there gave me an opportunity to do that. Um, other than that, he was, Every time I went back to see him every semester, he would look at my transcript and be like, well, you know, you got a lot to do and you got these kids doing this and I don't know. And it wasn't, it wasn't until the last time I saw him, um, right before I was applying, that he was, or actually after I had applied, that he was actually very encouraging. And he said, you're going to get in, just take it easy. So he kind of he whipped the, cracked the whip at me the whole way. But once I got to the end, he was proud of me. That's awesome. So you're going halftime at first. How long did it take you to finish your, your bachelor's at USF? Uh, three years. Yeah, it took me three years. I think this is my three and a half because I'm, uh, I'm 42 now and I'll be graduating in May. Okay, that's awesome. You, you are on this journey. You have the support of your wife and you're you're challenging your kid in classes in college which is <laughs> yeah. awesome what was the mcat like for you uh i took a different approach to the mcat than actually what my uh, advisor and my uh, other people that i'd spoken to and and from your podcast as well had uh recommended i i decided that i didn't want to take the mcat at the end of a, of a full-time load of classes or during a full-time load of classes. Cause I knew that that MCAT was critical, um, to overcoming my academic challenges in the past. Uh, so I scheduled it on, uh, August 30th. That way I would have the summer to finish up. I had one biochemistry class I wanted to take and I would have the rest of the summer to do a Kaplan course and just study and take practice test after practice test to sit for the MCAT. So it was, it was difficult, but the fact that I was focused from May until August to get this done, uh, helped me immensely. I mean, that's, I wouldn't do it any other way. Is this, this, the August, the same, like in the middle of applications as well? It is. Yeah. It was last August. When did you submit your application? Uh, well, I didn't get my MCAT scores back until September 31st. I submitted my AMCAS application, though, by July 2nd, I think, is when I actually put it in. Okay. But it didn't have any AMCAS score, so it didn't get distributed. Correct. Well, it was distributed, but the schools didn't sit anywhere. Right, it, yes. The schools sat on it until they, they figured out what they wanted to do. So, so you submitted still pretty early. Uh, mm -hmm. You got secondaries back, I'm assuming, in that period of time from some schools that would send them 
unfiltered. Yeah, pretty much from all my schools. Yeah, within two weeks, I had all the secondaries back. And then nothing until after you took the MCAT and got your score back. So, that, I mean, that that goes against all advice out there to have your <laughs> MCAT score in, apply early, because you applied early, but it was kind of, I wouldn't say it was useless, but the schools aren't going to do anything with your application because it's incomplete until that MCAT right. score is back. Yeah, and I, I knew that wasn't ideal. That's why, actually, I hadn't planned on applying this cycle. You hadn't planned on it, but you did anyway? Well, I did, yeah. my uh, that, That's a funny story. <laughs> Explain that. Uh, well, uh, my wife and I actually worked together, and um, she came to the back where I was working with the guys in the back one day, and she was just stressed out to no end, which, you know, she, she likes her job, but everybody has those days. And... Uh, she said, are you sure you can't apply this cycle? <laughs> I was like, well, yeah, I, I could. Why not? So that's what I did. And so, yeah, I, I, I knew I was late and I knew it was against advice, but I decided to take a shot at it anyway. Okay. Very interesting. How'd you do on the MCAT? Uh, I got a 513. Okay. it's a good score. And, and what was your final GPA up from a, what'd you say, a 259? Yeah, it was a two five nine when I went back, and it ended up at a three point two nine. Okay, so not terrible, but upward yeah. trends that schools want to see. Right. Yeah, kind of terrible for a med school application, but not not a, a death sentence. Yeah. So so you apply late. Well, you apply early, but you took the MCAT late, which means mm-hmm. schools aren't looking at it until later. Right. You have less than stellar GPA. You were academically disqualified from college. And yet you got interviews to schools. I did. Yes, I did. Talk about what it was like to get that first interview invite. Uh, It was uh, unbelievable. I mean, it's the only way to say it. You know, I I knew I was going against the odds. I knew I was already had some challenges as an applicant and to apply in. uh, I, I put my first applications in in October. So I was applying October, November, and I actually put an application in in December which, funny enough, was the first interview I got was the December application. And uh, it, was, uh, it was an unbelievable feeling. Uh, I, I mean, I was, uh, I, I was in shock for probably two hours, you know. So after my wife and I got done jumping up and down and screaming, then we, uh, you know, we settled down and, and uh, I gave you a call. First, a mock interview prep. Yeah. So, yeah. so talk about... Uh, Obviously, we prepped, and, and a lot of it is, uh, is going to be focused around your past. Um, are, are you academically uh, qualified for this? They obviously think so because you're getting an, an interview invite, but there's still the questions about your past and, and why you're changing careers. What, what were the interviews like uh, at, as a 40-something-year-old non-trad that was kicked out of school once before and, and as... Uh, kicked and fought and, and scratched his way back into the game? Mm. Uh, the interviews, I was really fortunate. Um, the interviews that I had, and the first one especially at uh, FIU, were really relaxed. They were very friendly. Um, they were really focused on who I was. They made it clear at the, the, the meeting when, when we first came in, before we had the interviews, that if you're sitting here, you've been deemed academically sufficient. And that's not a question. We don't want any updates on your academics from here on out. Your academics are good enough. We're just interested in you and what else you've done in your life. So the, the first interview had nothing at all to do with academics. Um, 
Yeah, the and it's one of the subsequent interviews they did ask me somewhat about it, uh, but it was more of a, um, you know, it was more for focused toward him commenting on I've seen your path and you know what what changed type of question. Yeah, interesting. You you had the one interview. How did you go about? Uh, sending any updates? Did did you did you contact any schools to kind of poke them and say, "Hey, my score's in. Have you looked at me yet? Uh, I'm still waiting." Um, no, uh, I, I didn't actually. The only updates I sent was after the um, uh, the fall semester was over because I did want the schools that hadn't given me an interview yet to see that I, I had a 17 credit hour semester that was. It was straight A's. I wanted them to see that I, I was still capable of doing that because that was only my uh, third full-time semester, so I thought it was important that they saw that. Uh, but other than that, I didn't really poke them. I was just honestly just too busy with school to, to focus on it too much, and uh, I was still trying to get my uh, applications in in December, so I had all my interviews scheduled. Um, they had called me yeah, in by January. Sec- by, by the second week of January, I had the rest of my interviews of, of the three interviews that I got. Uh, so the only, only update I really sent was that, um, fall transcript update. How many schools did you end up applying to overall? I applied to five schools here in Florida, the five state schools. Okay. So it was, it was a, a decision based on location. Uh, it was location, but also obviously your, your biggest advantage against other other students in my opinion is being a resident of your state and i'm fortunate enough that the discrimination worked in my advantage to the to the state schools here in florida and that was a lot of my driving reason i knew if i was going to apply late this cycle my best shot would be at the florida state schools okay interesting tactic that's good all right so you interviewed and and you now have an acceptance to medical school where are you going to go to school this year I do, the University of Central Florida. UCF. So we had the dean, Dean German, on from UCF a long time ago. Um, and everything at UCF seems amazing. So you're, you're going to have a, a great time there. Oh, I think so. Yeah, it was, uh, it was my top choice. And it, it was actually my bottom choice coming into the interview, and it was my top when I left. Their school is amazing, their methodology, their educational uh, uh, curriculum and their offerings uh, to me was an exact fit for me and uh, the the facilities are uh, it's like shock and awe I mean it's amazing what they've done down there so talk about that a little bit it was at the bottom of your list but moved to the top what kind of research did you do beforehand and what sort of exposure did you have on your interview day and, and maybe what could you have done differently to make UCF uh, your top choice going in instead of making it later. Does that make sense? No, it makes perfect sense. Yeah, I understand. Uh, going in, I did very surface-level research. So I looked at my schools. I looked at their rank with U.S. News. Um, I, I looked at uh, their cost of, uh, of attendance. I looked at uh, their curriculum. I did take a breeze over that. Um, you know, 
As far as what else, oh, I looked at how old the program was as well, and that was a new program to me. It had some question marks. They hadn't graduated except for a couple of classes. Uh, so to me, that was a big negative. It turned out to be not a negative of all. By the end of the interview, they, they did a great job of explaining how their classes have done, what they have done, and where they're going. And it, it just... Uh, they open up my eyes to the fact that being a new program is not a detriment. It's about how the program is run and how their classes perform, and they're hitting all, all the cylinders. So what, what could you have done differently beforehand to maybe get a better picture before you applied? I think I could have done more research on their website to begin with. I should have read more in depth going in, which seems odd. I thought I read quite a bit about it. But there's those little nuances. There's the performance of their class. Um, there's their overall um, their their overall look at what it is their mission is. And I could have educated myself better on their website mainly, and probably actually contacted the school, got any literature they had, and kind of saw their presentation ahead of time, which I didn't do. Okay, very good. What advice do you have for a non-traditional out there that? has a family well entrenched in a career, but, but has the itch to go back and become a physician? Uh, well, first of all, you need to be careful about whose advice you take because there's going to be a lot of naysayers. It's just kind of the nature of the beast. This is a, although non-trads are more common nowadays, there's still a bit of an enigma and, um, you have to be a little, um, I don't want to say closed-minded, but a little ignorant. I mean, you have to say, I can do this, and I don't care what anybody says. That's kind of important because you, uh, you have to have the drive to do it. More importantly, if you've struggled like I did academically, you have an opportunity. So you did poorly in your first, when you were a young, young guy, young girl, and you had troubles. Now you have an opportunity to be the Cinderella story. You have an ability to show them you have overcome. You know, you're you're the the Rocky Balboa that's going to knock out the prize fighter. Everybody loves that, and that will set you apart from the person that's 22, 4.0 GPA, has excelled in everything. That's the typical medical student, and you now have an opportunity to be something more than that. All right, again, that was Kane. Amazing story. I would have loved to watch that interaction between him and his son in the same classes at college. I, I think that's that's awesome. What I hope you learn from this is that no matter what has happened in your past, you can figure out a way to overcome it, and you can figure out a way to show the admissions committee members what you have done and why they should take a chance on you. And obviously gaining acceptance to uh, an MD school. I, I don't want to make a difference here between MD and DO, but most people in Kane's situation would go, oh, I, I can't apply to an MD school. They, they won't accept me. But obviously he was accepted. He was interviewed. He was accepted. And he is going to a great MD school in the wonderful state of Florida at UCF. So congratulations, Kane. Thank you for sharing your story. If you loved this podcast, which I hope you did, you can go to medicalschoolhq.net slash iTunes and let us know and let other listeners know, other potential listeners, as they comb through the iTunes catalog and look for interesting things to listen to to help motivate them. We had a couple new reviews. We had one from 
Kyle Marlon, CS94, that says, there is not one podcast I have listened to that I haven't learned something valuable and worth remembering or jotting down in my notes. He calls it the GOAT. Now, I don't know what the GOAT means. I thought it was bad at first, but it turned out to be good. So thank you for that, uh, Kyle. We also have Mother Rucker, 55, says, absolutely amazing. Dr. Gray has the most insightful, hopeful, and intelligent podcast for pre-med students and med school hopefuls ever. I think that is an awesome recommendation. So if you want to leave us an awesome recommendation, you can do so again at medicalschoolhq.net slash iTunes. What is better yet is if you go and tell your friends about this podcast. Go tell your classmates, your roommates, your advisors, anybody that you can tell. We're always looking for new listeners to help spread the gospel here at the medical school headquarters. I feel like I'm a preacher man now. All right. I want to thank Next Step Test Prep for sponsoring this podcast. Now, I've talked in the past about their one-on-one tutoring, which is what they are known for. It's what they do. But they also have, for the new 2015 MCAT, they have 10 full-length practice tests that you can take. And you can do so if you go to Next Step Test Prep and go to their MCAT page. The, the MCAT tests and books are in the top bar there. They're, they're kind of hard to find, but they're there. And it, when you click on full-length tests, you can see uh, an awesome video walking you through. It's just like the real MCAT tests. It, they've, they've modeled their software exactly after the, the real AAMC tests. So go check them out. They have 10 full lengths that you can buy. You can buy um, any number of them that, that you want. You can uh, save 10% on any of the packages by using the code MSHQ. Again, save 10% by using MSHQ. You can buy four of them, six of them, or all 10. Again, that's Next Step Test Prep, and go find the MCAT tests and books link on their MCAT page in the top bar. All right, I hope you got a ton of great information out of the podcast today. And as always, I hope you join us next week here at the Medical School Headquarters and the Pre-Med Years Podcast.